0: Hey everybody, welcome to Come Follow Me Daily Dose. I'm Lindsay Hansen and today is August 7th. Today is the first day of this week's Come Follow Me block and this week we're going to be studying the first part of the book of Psalms. Now it's interesting, we're actually going to be studying Psalms for three weeks and I'm super excited because I love the Psalms. But it's also very fitting because the Psalms is a very unique book of scripture, but it's also the longest book that we have in the Old Testament. It's also the book of the Old Testament that's quoted the most in the New Testament. So for us as Christians, we should look at the Psalms as something very special and very sacred, as it's something that the Savior used to teach and that his disciples used to teach as well. A couple of other really interesting things about Psalms is that With a lot of these books, we can say, oh, it was written between this period and this period. With the book of Psalms, it's a collection of poetry and hymns and petitions from the history of the children of Israel. So it spans probably over 500 years. And so it doesn't point us to a specific period in history. Rather, it points us to a specific attitude or a specific way of worship that the children of Israel had. In fact, the book of Psalms is part of what we call the poetic and wisdom writings in the Bible. That includes the book of Job, which we just finished. We talked about how the whole middle part of that is just poetry. So it's the book of Job, the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, and the book of Ecclesiastes. The rest of the Christian world includes the book of the Songs of Solomon in that group, In our religion, there's a lot of different feelings about the songs of Solomon, but we do definitely consider Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes part of this poetic and wisdom writings. And the book of Psalms is absolute poetry and absolute wisdom. It's both of those things. About half of this book is attributed to David, and the other half is to different authors. But it's interesting because it appears that those attributions were given well after the book was actually written. So most likely that's speculation. However, if you take a look at a lot of the subject matter, it seems pretty clear that David could have written everything that has been attributed to him. The main thing that I love about the book of Psalms, though, is that in a lot of ways, this was ancient Israel's hymn book. And hymns just hit differently, don't they? Music just hits differently. There's just something about music that carries the spirit directly to our hearts. In fact, in my ward, usually it's the Sunday right after Christmas, but we always have one Sunday a year where our testimony meeting is just hymns. People come up, they bear testimony of a specific hymn, they talk about why they like it, and then they choose a verse from that hymn that we sing. And if you talk to most people in our ward, they would tell you that that is their favorite Sunday of the year because hymns just have a way of hitting the soul differently. In fact, most people, when they choose their favorite hymn or when they talk about their favorite hymn, it's because there's a certain moment that's attached to that hymn a certain feeling that they experienced with that hymn, a certain time in their life when that hymn meant something special to them. And music can do that for us. Memories can be attached to music in special ways so that when we hear the music, we're taken back to that memory in that moment. And so I love that the book of Psalms is often considered a hymn book for ancient Israel. But this book, on top of being hymns, also feels like a book of prayer. Right? If you've studied the book of Psalms, you can feel the prayer, the supplication, the pleading in this book. It reminds me of the importance of saying those personal prayers within myself, to have a prayer in my heart all the time. It reminds me of the hymn that says, And Jesus listening can hear the songs I cannot sing. When we keep those quiet prayers in our hearts every single day, Those quiet prayers can turn into the silent hymns that can be heard as we seek help, as we seek understanding, as we praise God for his blessings. So let's jump right into the book of Psalms. We're going to start in Psalms 2. Now, if you look at the chapter heading in Psalms 2, it's going to call it a messianic psalm, meaning it's going to point us to the Messiah or to Christ. Let's take a look at what it says. It says, Why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. So these kings, these rulers, the heathens are all going to turn against Christ. And it says, they're going to say, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. So these heathens, these leaders, they're all going to say, let's break the bands of the Lord, of Christ, of Christianity. And then I love the next verse. Verse four says, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. So even though they might be trying or conspiring or fighting against the cause of Christ, God who sits in the heavens has them in derision. He laughs. That is a plan that cannot come to be. That is a plan that cannot come to fruition remember what we learn in the standard of truth. It says no unhallowed hand can stop the work from progressing. Persecutions can rage, mobs can combine, armies can assemble, but truth, the truth of God will go forth boldly, nobly, and independent. And the only thing that's going to stop it is Jehovah himself saying that the work is done. So it doesn't matter what groups come against the cause of Christ. It doesn't matter what people come against the cause of Christ. It doesn't matter what nation or leaders of nation may come against the cause of Christ. No one can stop it from moving forward. It reminds me a little bit of God's words to the serpent in Genesis chapter 2. He says, you may have power to bruise his hill, but I'm giving him power to crush your head. The adversary might work and fight and kick against everything that's good, but for the tiniest pinprick that he can cause, God will prevail and the work of God will continue to go forward. Then continuing in verse six, it says, yet I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Ooh, I love that. I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion the king being the savior himself, and the holy hill of Zion. We get two pieces of imagery there. We've got the hill of Galilee, where the savior was crucified and became the king of kings. And we also have what we often see in the Old Testament. We've got a hill representing a temple. So we get that imagery of God setting the savior on the hill of Galilee and setting the savior in the temple. Now, my favorite verse of this Psalm is in verse seven. It says, I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. I just love that wording. Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. That is the gift of Jesus Christ. That is the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of our covenants, Christ can say that to each and every one of us. Thou art my son, this day I have begotten thee. The purpose of our covenants is to bind us to the Lord, to bind us to God in higher and holier ways. Sister Burton once said, Making and keeping covenants means choosing to bind ourselves to our Father in heaven and Jesus Christ. It is committing to follow the Savior. It is trusting him and desiring to show our gratitude for the price he paid to set us free through the infinite gift of the atonement. My friends, because God set the Savior on his holy hill, because of the hill of Galilee, he can now look to us and call us his son, call us his daughter, bind us to him, and remind us that as we turn to him, he has begotten us. That is the gift of the atonement.